Hi, this is Danielle Krissa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 203 of Art for Your Ear. Today is a special Mother's Day episode, so I actually have two guests. My mama, artist Judy Cumming, and the boy who made me a mama, my 14-year-old son, Charlie. My mom will start things off, and then Charlie's going to bring it home with a not-so-speedy speed round. (laughs) So before we call my mom in Vancouver, I just wanted to share a little bit of sad news. Last Saturday, I didn't put up a new episode, and I had mentioned in my No Such Thing as Too Much Art Society newsletter that I'd had a doozy of a week. Well, lots of you reached out, which was so sweet, to see if everything was okay, and it is, but we had to say goodbye to our little wiener dog, Murphy. He turned 15 on the Wednesday and passed away two days later. It was so hard to let him go, but he'd been really sick for the past couple of months, and it was time for him to go and meet up with Stella, our other little wiener, in doggy heaven. We miss both of them so much, and it is really, really weird not to hear a dog in the house, but we're also relieved that he's not suffering anymore. Anyway, that is why it was a doozy of a week for the Chrissas. Okay, on to happier things like lovely moms. My mom has been on the podcast before, but it was years ago. She's recently been painting a lot more, and we even did a little collaboration together last summer when she came to visit. So, Mother's Day seemed like a great excuse to have her on again. Oh, another reason to bring her back is because almost every time I talk about her on the podcast, she texts me to let me know (laughs) that a few of my facts are mixed up. So, we have a few bits and pieces to clear up. All right, let's get this Mama's Day episode underway, calling my mom, watercolorist Judy Cumming in Vancouver. Hi, Mom. Welcome to Art for Your Ear. Hello, dear. Nice (laughs) to see you. This is unusual circumstances, but hey, it's fun. Uh, I know. It's like one of our regular calls, but but not. Um, So I was looking, because I've had you on the podcast before. It was... Mm -hmm. In 2016. Was it? Yeah. That long ago? I know. Isn't that crazy? Because I was thinking, you know, I had her on last season, you know, whatever. And so I thought, oh, I'll go back and look. 2016. Okay, I'm overdue. Yeah, you certainly are. And um, lots of people love that episode. I think, Hooray. I think it was a Christmas episode. It was right before Christmas. And so um, now this is going to be a Mother's Day episode. So I'm going to start with you because you're my mama. And then we're going to finish the episode with Charlie because I'm his mama. Ah. Yeah. You're always so well organized. Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> um, okay. So because it was not since 2016, we're going to do a little gr- um, recap of your growing up and stuff. We also have some facts to sort out because I've talked about you on the podcast a few times and you've messaged me after to say, no, that wasn't right. <laughs> yeah, yes. Mothers, you know, never stop being mothers. <laughs> That's right. So we have to review a few of those things. And then um, maybe a week or so ago, I put up on my Instagram that I was going to have you on and said, I'm going to have a little section called ask Judy. So I think I've got five or six questions here that people have sent in. So we'll do that. Wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about little Judy. Now, tell us, were you, were you painting and drawing when you were little? Yes, indeed I was. 
Um, and what did Grammy and Grandpa think of that? Did they did were they giving you paper and stuff all the time? Oh, they, they yeah, they were impressed. But mostly, I had coloring books mm-hmm. and crayons, and uh, then I tended to do my own thing as well. And when I got into school, I was always you know drawing and doodling and stuff like that. So I always loved art class. My art classes were quite rare though through elementary school. It just wasn't a priority. But whenever there was an art class, I loved it and I used whatever media there was. And then when I got into high school, there were there was more emphasis on art, still not a whole lot, but there was a girl in my grade nine class who was so good. She just dazzled me. Her name was Mary Lou, and she just could draw anything from right out of her mind. You know, she could either imagine it and draw it, or she could draw something real. I was just very, very impressed with her. So she was an inspiration. Were you friends? Not really, no. No, I just admired her artwork. I mean, we weren't enemies, Yeah, we weren't close either. I wonder what she thought of your stuff. I wonder if she thought the exact same thing of you. Doubt her. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I always thought that of you when I was growing up. And I always still, when I talk about you, I, um, when I say that you're an artist, I always tell people, Oh yeah, my mom could draw you right now where I've never been able to do that. Like I've never, I've never been able to look at something and draw it. Uh, Well, yeah, but that doesn't always work for me either. Some of my portraits, you know, the, uh, the clients or the people sitting don't recognize themselves. So <laughs> it doesn't always work. Sometimes it works. That's the miraculous part. Sometimes it works really well. Other times, no. And I'm never sure which it's going to be. Hmm. Yeah, isn't that so. funny when your head and your hand don't cooperate? Mm-hmm. It's weird. Um, so, okay, so there's Mary Lou in grade nine. Was that, um, that was a Catholic high school, right? Was that where the nuns were? Yes. Yes. And so what did nuns think of art? Was it very like, were the classes very classical? Like you basically, was it like Italian well, masters? Depend, depended on the nun. Right. Some of them really had to do it and they had no clue. Like right. it was not their thing. So they were following the manual, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't remember too much about art in high school or elementary school because it was rather sporadic. Right. But uh, yeah. Um, and then, so when you went to university, you went for English, right? Yes. English become, major, French minor. To become a teacher? Was that your plan? No, no, oh. no. I had no plan. <laughs> I, was a, I was a kid when I went. Yes, uh, because like you, skipped, I, you skipped two grades, right? So you, went to univer- you started university when you were 15. Right, but I was going to, yeah. And I was going to be 16 in December. So really, I didn't have a clue. I knew I, I loved That's school. That's insane. I, I wanted to take the the classes that I was interested in. So I took this wide range of liberal arts classes, like English, French, philosophy. We had to take philosophy and theology for the first two years because it was a Catholic college. So, but that was fine with me. Philosophy, theology, I took Spanish as an elective just because I wanted to. I just felt so lucky to be there. You know, that I, that I took whatever I could take. And I had no idea what I was going to do when I finished. Except when I hit third year, 
somebody I was talking to said, oh, you know, we have to, we have to pick our serious stuff now because we have to gear it to what we're going to do when we finish. And I thought, eh. so, <laughs> so I had, I looked at my courses. I had more English and French than anything else. So uh, the natural thing was to be a teacher, which had never particularly occurred to me. But anyway, that's how it went. And it was, well, it was that kind of the time where like your choice as a woman was basically. Oh yeah. Like teacher, nurse. I tried to get into a couple of the interviews for companies, you know, when they came on campus to interview and they would specify men only, please. You know, those were the days. Yeah, men only, please. And I had a friend who was more courageous than I was. And she just put down her initials on the interview sheet, went in. And of course, they were stunned to find that she was a woman. And uh, so we all, you know, wanted to know what had happened. And she said, well, they told me they couldn't possibly hire me because they would have to build new washrooms. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, there weren't a whole lot of options. That's true. And I did apply for um, Canada Manpower, what was it called? Where you interview people for jobs for the Canadian government. Okay. Anyway, I thought, oh, this would fit me, but I was too young. They interviewed me, said I was a great candidate. So how old would you have been? Like 19? Yeah. Because you were graduating when you were 19. I think you had to be 21 for this job. Oh my gosh. And so when you were in university, you just, you were living at home, right? That whole time? Yes. 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 Which was good. You were a teenager. I wasn't ready to move away. <laughs> no, no kidding. No. And you met you met dad when you were 16. That's right. And he was 19. Mm-hmm. But you were both in first year university. So you neglected to tell him that you were 16. You just said you were we, for- <laughs> we had both just finished first year, yeah. Because he had a January birthday. So he was older. Right. You know, both kids. Anyway, yeah, no, I didn't tell him until a few letters later. <laughs> Surprise! I just got my license. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, okay, so so art wasn't really a priority. I know that you hated teaching. I did not like teaching. You're right. No, no not then anyway, because you've taught <laughs> French and stuff later in life. But at that moment, yeah. you did not like. Because what were you teaching? High school French or High something? School English and French. And you, I think, I've been like two years older than some of the kids. I was just too young. Yeah, that was the issue. I was just too young. Yeah. And I was terrified. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Uh, People that are older are terrified their first few years of teaching. So of course. Um, And then so when did you start sort of dabbling in painting and stuff then in all of that? Well, when I was in my teens, yes, I did a lot of uh, pastel work. I worked with, you know, pencil pastels, did a lot of sketching. My mom was very, very encouraging. Mm. She, she loved everything I did. Well, occasionally she didn't, but that was honest too. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, she was very encouraging. So I, I worked with pastels and I entered a couple of art shows, you know, when I was a, when I was a teenager. And then after I got married, I, uh, I would take summer courses in watercolor and in acrylic and whatever was going basically. And mm-hmm. I went to the Dune School of Fine Arts, which was a summer school when we lived in Guelph. Mm-hmm. Dune wasn't that far away. 
And so I would go, you know, back and forth. It was, wasn't stay over, but it was daytime classes for a week at a time. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot there. And that's when dad was doing his master's. Were you working too? Yes. Yes. What were you doing there? Working at the University of Guelph Library. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Were you doing any artsy stuff for them? I was illustrating the newsletter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There there would be a cartoon, you know, every week, Mm -hmm. which would sort of poke fun at the library. And the library was brand new, multi-million dollar place, state of the art. We had the first computerized system for checking out books. Wow. People from all over the world were coming to see the Guelph, the University of Guelph Library. And yeah, the newsletter, I would be poking fun at various problems with the library. (laughs) I remember right after one of these newsletters came out, uh, the head librarian, I happened to run into her (laughs) in the lobby of the library. And she just gave me this look that, you know, (laughs) indicated she was not happy. (laughs) Anyway, she didn't say anything. So yeah, and I was doing, you know, various painting and drawing things. Dan, Dad just thought it was wonderful. He was very, very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he thought, uh, you know, I was so talented. Mind you, he was blinded by love, so. <laughs> no, I think he was right. I think he was right, Mom. Um, and so, okay, so time goes along. Um, you guys moved from, well, you moved a lot then. You went from Guelph to Vancouver. Vancouver. And then, because dad was going to do his PhD. Yes. Why you moved. And then you had me. That's right. I got pregnant during our move. No. Yes. I don't really want details about that, but. Okay. It was at a, it was at a horrible little motel. That's enough. enough oh, okay. That's great. Yes. Where? In like <laughs> Wawa or something? Uh, Sault Ste. Marie. Outside of Sault Ste. Marie. Hmm. You should have named, named me Sue St. Marie. Just called you Sue for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sue oh, Marie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, okay, so the story I told when PETA interviewed me was that when dad was doing his PhD, you made a whole bunch of money from selling your paintings. But you then you, ma- you messaged me and said, hold on, dad had a scholarship and was t- uh, a TA as well. That's right. And uh, I did make, you know, quite a lot of money. Yes. Um, relatively speaking. But yes, it was a substantial chunk of our income. Which is selling, huge. Yeah. Selling paintings through my friend Delphine's gallery. She was tremendously encouraging, helpful to me, promoted my work. Yeah. And so I sold a lot of paintings. Yes, it, it was a significant portion of our income, but it certainly wasn't all of it. I know, but you, you can own it. You can, that, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was good. And then what was the story about Delphine pressuring you when you were pregnant to have, like that you were going to have some show, giant show after, our, after the baby was born or something? That's right. She had eight children herself. What? Two of whom were twins. Yeah. Oh. And she had painted through all this. I mean, she was amazing. She was a sculptor, painted in every medium. She did many different styles. Anyway, she said, okay, you need motivation now. You know, a year after this baby is born, 
I am scheduling a show for you. And she did. And I did. Wow. Do you remember how many paintings you had in it? Mm, probably, probably about 15 or. Wow. Between 15 and 20, I guess. And so did you like that? Like, did you like having that pressure, like to have the show so that, you know, you had to paint during that first year? Um, or were you like stressed out? <laughs> no, it was okay because uh, it was exciting. And dad was working. I mean, he was at, he was at school from, he left before eight in the morning and I wouldn't see him till about nine o'clock at night. Wow. So, you know, cause he wanted to get that PhD done as fast as he could, especially yeah. now that we had you, you know, he wanted to get on with it. Mm -hmm. So he was working really hard and I was home with you. Yeah. And did you join like baby groups and stuff or were you kind of on your own? I did join one baby group. Um, the neighborhood where we were didn't, there were, there were a lot of retired people. There were very few kids, mm. very few young families. So I didn't have, in the neighborhood, I didn't have much contact. So actually it worked out really well that I had a painting project. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cause that's the thing. I remember you saying that to me when I was pregnant with Charlie. Um, you said, make sure you have some, and I tell this all the time if we're ever talking about motherhood on the podcast, um, and if there's people that are about to have a baby, artists that are nervous about it or whatever, that you said, um, you have to have something that still is for you, that's still Danielle. Otherwise, you become Charlie's mom really quick, right? You need to have that thing that that's for you. And for, for me, sure. it was art as well, you know, and then it ended up being the jealous curator. But um I think that was such a blessing that Delphine uh, kind of oh. gave you that assignment, you know. She was an angel. Yeah. She was just just what I needed at that point. Mm -hmm. And then so you guys were there for like a year and a well, a couple of years, I guess, because I was mm -hmm. one and a half when, when dad got the job in Nova Scotia. So then we moved to the other side of the country. Right. To Nova Scotia. So then did you find, was that a hiccup for your art or you just kind of kept oh. going? No, Nova Scotia was fantastic. The, the art community there was so welcoming to me. And they were really... How did you find them? How did you find them when you got there? Ah, I don't remember. Hmm. I really yeah, don't my memories of Nova Scotia are your art. Like, I just remember, I remember that so vividly. Like all the blossom things and um, the, was it the Matarts? Yes, yes. That had that little shop. I, like, I remember all of that stuff so, so clearly. Um, and I think that's why we have to clear it up, too, that I said you always had a studio in all of our houses. And you said, no, I didn't. I worked on the dining room table. But I think in my mind, there was always art being made. So to me, it felt like. Right. There must have been a studio. Yeah. yeah no, <clears throat> I only had a, a painting room in Summerland. You're right about that. Although I rarely painted in there. I stored stuff in there. Right. I had all my supplies and paper and all that stuff in there. Yeah, because I remember I going and stealing stuff out of there all the time. Ah. I'd sneak in and get the really good stuff. Sneak oh, that's it. where it went. <laughs> so in Nova Scotia, um, yeah, they were so welcoming. And I remember you were working away. And then um, Jana and Cam were born there. So now you have three little kids. But mm -hmm. you still, you were, were you making more art than you ever had when we lived there? Um, probably, 
Probably, yeah. I also belonged to a uh, mother's co-op when we were there. So we would look after each other's kids. Oh. So that, you know, gave me some time on my own. And uh, yeah, and I also painted in the evening. Mm-hmm. So, and where did you paint Nova Scotia on the uh, just on the kitchen table? Dining kitchen table, table, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Um, okay, so then where did we move? <laughs> Whenever people say, "Where are you from?" I'm like, "How long do you have?" Uh, take your pick. <laughs> yeah. So then we moved to Summerland. Yes. And uh, we moved when I was seven, and then um, so, and then we were here for ten years. So now this was hilarious because. At when I said about having the studio in the house on that episode and you texted and said, I never had a studio. And I said, yes, you did. You had a studio in Summerland. And you said, no, I didn't. And I said, yes, you did. And you said, where? And I said, in the, in the basement off the TV room. And you said, no, I remember your room and the freezer room. And I was like, mom, to the left. And you were like, oh yeah, you completely forgot. So clearly, I guess you did not paint in there very much. No, no, but I do remember the room now. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and you did have you you did have the fishing um uh box that you keep all your supplies in. Oh, I still have that. I love that thing. I used to love opening it, like unfolding it, and then all of your <laughs> inks, you know, those little squeezy topped inks. Yep, yeah. In there and then the pastels. Ooh, I loved I loved how it smelled, everything. Jonah was just here a few days ago and he was checking it out too. Oh really? <laughs> That's, that's my little nephew, everybody. He's, uh, he just turned six. <clears throat> so he, yeah. was, he, was he wanting to try stuff or was he just poking around in it? No, no. He was just interested in the box and you oh. know, how it folded like an accordion. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> it is a good box. I, do, I love it. I bought a, um, at the thrift shop, you know, the awesome thrift shop in our town. Whenever, right. whenever mom comes to visit, that's our first destination. <laughs> that thrift shop. I bought a uh, wooden same thing, accordion thing, but you know, it's like one of those old sewing boxes. Oh yeah, remember those? Yeah, so it's an accordion. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like five bucks or something. I love it. I've got pom poms and glass and weird doll arms and everything. So it's very exciting. I should show Jonah that next time he comes here. Definitely. Do you remember the first art piece that Jonah or that uh, Charlie made for me? Uh, with the pom poms. Yes. yes. <laughs> and and the farkles. Oh, the Farkles. That's right. Right. Sparkles. And he said, and he said uh, you know, Nana, I love this because girls love Farkles. <laughs> There's the title and for the episode. Um, girls love Farkles. Yeah. <laughs> that was so cute. He couldn't say SPs until he was probably at least four. So yeah, spaghetti was spaghetti. And in that time when we decorated our carport for Halloween, when he was three and he said, Ooh, I want to make it really spooky and sparkly, <laughs> spooky and sparkly. <laughs> um, yeah. He was really into pom-poms. He doesn't really make art anymore. We'll address that in the not so speedy speed round. Okay. He's more of an artist with words now, but that's okay. Um, okay. So um, let's skip ahead to, um, so where had you gone? You'd gone all over the place, Belgium and, uh, Malaysia. Malaysia and then Abbotsford no no Abbotsford was in the middle of all that yeah and that's where you met your friend Susan right right and that's when you no, guys no, started no. oh Susan was from Guelph oh god that's right Guelph but Susan then when you were 
We were, but, we were in Guelph twice. Right. Anyway, the second time we were in Guelph, I met Susan, calligraphic artist. And we were going to the same philosophy classes and seminars. That's how we met. We found out that we were both artists. She primarily calligraphic and me not. And she phoned me up one day and she says, do you want to do something together? And I said, sure. I mean, I was really excited about it. And then she sort of backed off and I didn't hear any more about it. So I phoned her and said, you know, are, are we going to do this? And she said, I guess, she said, I, I was afraid if it didn't work out, it might ruin our friendship. And I said, no, 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 let's try it. I never had so much fun in my life. And so how, when you guys were in this, that was when you were both in the same place. So what did, did you actually work on the pieces at the same time or did you trade them back and forth and have your own alone time with the work? No, we were there together. Oh, okay. And uh, we just, we worked uh, on paper. And sometimes we decided on a color palette ahead of time. Sometimes we didn't. We put music on and one of us would paint until we, you know, until we were done or tired of it or just figured, okay, done my bit. And then we'd pass it over and the other person would do some more and then pass it back. I mean, it was wonderfully freeing. You, no attachment, no control issues. You just, we had no idea what it was going to turn out like. And then when we decided we were finished with the sort of image part, then we would decide together on words. What words would suit this? And uh, when we had decided that, then Susan would put them on. Mm -hmm. She would do the words in whatever style, whatever way she wanted to. And uh, ta-da, you were done. So neat. And when you got, when, so when you're done your part and you'd pass it over to her, were you working on another one or were you sitting and watching her? Oh yeah. We, no, we just did one at a time. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So would you just hang out while she was painting? Yep. And yeah, when, and, a minute or two each, you know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then you moved and, right. and then you started <laughs> mailing them back and forth. We started, we, we had so much fun with it and we did a show that we thought was absolutely amazing not too many others well yes a lot of people thought it was absolutely amazing but it didn't sell well mm. people like to see it and as that happens about, a lot of times that happens lots i guess so as it, we where was that show in guelph uh the show was in guelph yes there was a little uh gallery oh i forget the name of it started with an m i think there's a little gallery there and we got a show there we got a lot of people attending and a lot of questions and a lot of interest but very few sales so hmm. we thought we don't care let's yeah. do it let's keep doing it so um <laughs> then when i moved to guelph we mailed stuff back no abbotsford you moved to abbotsford, oh, sorry, abbotsford. Yeah, yeah she was still in guelph i was in abbotsford we mailed stuff back and forth and then it sort of we did one more show and it petered out yeah did you guys ever do it live no that would no, be kind of cool it would. We tried to offer a course through the local art society. Mm. You know, we described it, we raved about it, and uh, the art society people were interested. So they published, you know, put it out, 
and nobody signed up. Oh, yeah. I would have signed up. Well, when you were here in August, you and I did it. Yes, we did. In my fun? studio. It was so fun. It was really cool. And so we did two pieces and you took one home and I have one. Yes. Yeah, that was, it was really neat. And um, I just love it because, you know, I like the fusion of, of having a piece that has a little bit of you and a little bit of me in it. That, that's what I really like. And then I've, you know, one of my jump starter projects that I give people is if you're, if you're scared of the big white canvas or the perfect clean sheet is to get someone you love to make the first mark. So it's often I'll get Charlie just to come down and he gets to pick the color. He picks the brush and just goes, Bleh. What a great idea. Yeah. And so now that fear is gone because Charlie already reacted. It was his fault, not mine. And, uh, <laughs> but then, you know, and it might end up getting covered up or whatever, but when the piece is finished, you know that there's a little bit of this person that you love is also in the piece, which is, I think, a really neat thing to to have, you know? Um, so that's what I love about those two pieces that we did. But it would be so neat if you and Susan, uh, you know, resurrected it somehow. But if, you know, you said people were so interested in talking about the art. If yes. all the art was up, but you guys actually had a table in the middle and you were actually doing, doing it. it It'd be kind of neat. Where where does she live now? She's still in Guelph. She's still in Guelph. Uh, sometimes she spends the winters in California, but these days she's probably not. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, maybe when everything's back to normal, you can both go down to California for like a month and just do that. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be good. Yeah, we'll tell her. We'll we'll yeah, loop her yeah. in on our plan. She doesn't <laughs> know that she's having a house guest for a month, but we'll let her know. Um, okay, so now. Um, so you, now you live um, just outside Vancouver and um, af you didn't, you know, you were painting a little bit. Oh, somebody wanted me to ask. No, we'll save this for the Ask Judy section. But um, uh, so you've been painting at your place there, but it's always been on the dining room table, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, after dad died in 2018, um, you've just recently now turned the office that you guys had into your painting room. That's right. That's I right. I love that. I love that you have actual space to just go and play around and then close the door on the mess because with dining room tables and so many people I know listening to this work on their dining room tables and it is such a pain in the ass. If you have to clean it up, put it all away Absolutely. It's such a deterrent then to like get everything back out because you're like, oh, how long am I really going to have that I'm going to have to clean it up? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fantastic to be able to just leave it where it is and then, you know, glance at it every once in a while and you'll usually, you know, I'll usually see something. Oh, I'll just fix that. And, uh, you know, and then the next time I walk by, I think, oh, yeah, something over here is a little different. <laughs> and, it's fantastic, you know. It's, uh, and I, you know, I can just feel dad being like, that is awesome. Because with yeah. both of us, he was like, it's so funny because, I mean, he was very creative. I, I always describe you as the artist and dad as a scientist. But like growing up, he, I used to make candles with him and we would do hook rugs and he made macrame. And oh, yeah, he was, he was quite crafty. <laughs> he was heavily into crafts. I think probably because there was process. Maybe. You know what I mean? There were steps and things you had to do right. 
Because <laughs> I was talking, I think it was the PETA episode when I was talking about Stumpkins, how he would always buy me craft books every time he went anywhere. But half the time he would do the crafts with me. Like we we went on a tear with um, candle making for a while there. And then we went yeah. on a little tear with um, um, rock polishing. Oh, yes. Rock polishing and hooking. Yeah, he made that huge, like, hooked Persian rug that we had for the longest time. But I made a stocking. I had a, a hooked rug stocking. I had a hooked mm-hmm. rug in my room. And uh, so, I, yeah, that's the other thing I need to clear up, is I really shouldn't put Dad in just that science category, because he loved a good craft. But the point of that was that he was always so such a cheerleader of both you and I with our art. Like, he, both, he thought both of us, our prices should be way higher. Yes. <laughs> he always thought we should be showing more and doing more. Like he was very, um, yeah, thought both of us were geniuses. So I'm sure he's so happy that you have that room now. Yeah, I can feel him smiling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so um, when was it? it was, I think it was after dad died. It was when, when you and I went down to Granville Island and we, we bought that weird textured paper because you hadn't right. painted in a while. And I was like, here, and there was this weird, um, what was it? Like almost embossed yeah, rice it a, paper? Like, it was a rice paper thing, but sort of a floral pattern that was embossed into it. Yeah. And so it was quite expensive. It was like $18 for a sheet or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm going to be your patron today. I will buy this $18 sheet and just play around with it and see what happens. Nothing good happened, right? You didn't like well, it? I, I, did, I didn't like it. Yeah. But then I have a friend who raved about it. <laughs> what, you know? Isn't that and, always the way? Yes. And by that time, I, I didn't have it anymore. I had removed it <laughs> from my... Collection. From the premises, yeah. Yes, from the premises. <laughs> and so, but I had a photograph of it. So she now has a poster of it. That's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, I know. You never know, I guess. Yeah. So textured paper is out. Yeah. It's not, it's not for, on your for list. Now. Okay, yeah, for yeah. now. So what are you, what kind of stuff are you doing right now? Are you, because I know there was a little time there where you played around with acrylics. And I, ooh, last time ooh. you were on the podcast, I said, mom, they weren't very good. And people got really mad at me. Oh, they were terrible. But people got mad at me for not encouraging you. I, that, that, here's no. the thing. You're just so effortlessly good at watercolor. Yeah, but I mean, good for you for trying new stuff. Oh, yeah. I did oil way back, too. And, oh, no. Same and, with me. Uh, I cannot do oil. Oh. And then I, I did pastels for years, and that worked. But I wanted to move out of that. I, I really enjoy watercolor. Yeah. And the acrylic was just like this constant battle. Why? Because it dries so fast or what? Oh, just because it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. Yeah. And it, it just, and I you know a lot of people say that about watercolor. I know. And yet watercolor is so effortless for you. Yeah. But not for everyone, I guess. And well, I guess as watercolor is to some acrylic is to me because I, I just couldn't make it do anything that looked good. And I persevered. I did a whole series. And it was, you know. You didn't take of, any, you didn't try any classes or anything, right? You were just doing your thing? Or did yeah. you go do a class? No. No. 
No, so anyway, that didn't work out too well. But I figure, hey, do what you love. So. Well, yeah, and the thing is, like, you know, um, I think the reason why people got so mad at me was because I was discouraging you from trying something new. And I didn't mean that. I, I mean, I think it's really great to always be trying new stuff. And sometimes it fails epically, which is great. Because yeah. sometimes there's a happy accident in that failure, or sometimes you're like, okay, that one's off the list. And it makes you appreciate the thing that you're actually really good at, oh, yeah, or, you know, yeah. It's very, very worthwhile to try yeah. new things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? Uh, right now I'm doing some drawing. Oh. Yeah. With pencil? With pencil, with colored pencil, uh, sometimes with a watercolor wash over it. Yeah. Mm. Um, portraits or what are you, what are you? A portrait, yes. Um I'm actually inspired by Da Vinci mm. on one of them. It's a portrait called Scapliada. It's about a woman, which means woman with disheveled hair. Ah. All that word. But I I shoveled her hair, so <laughs> it's in order now. And it wasn't finished. It was an unfinished portrait. And it just grabbed me. So uh, so I did a finished drawing of that. And then I'm doing a what I hope will be a watercolor of Jonah. Remember I did one of Charlie way back? Yeah. This one is of Jonah, but you probably won't be able to recognize him because he's bent over digging in the garden. Oh, Charlie's was bent over picking up a shell. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I fixated, I guess. But anyway, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. But oh, nice. who knows, you know, what I'll do next. Do you have any, I mean, I know it's weird with COVID and whatever, but do you have any, like, are there any summer little, sometimes you've been in those, like, summer shows where you sell smaller works and, and cards and things like that? Are you doing any right. of that? Um, I was just in an online show. Oh, uh, I didn't that. The show was really good, I thought, but it didn't sell well at all either. Well, you know, it's a weird time I find with selling work. Like, I don't know, like some people have done super well during COVID and whatever. And other people, it's just like things have dried up. Like, you know, I don't know if people, people yeah. are out of work. I'm not really focused. I don't promote my work. Anybody who looks at my Facebook page, my heart page can tell that. Well, you're, I saw that you're on Instagram. There's not one post on there yet. No, no, I know. <laughs> I shouldn't have gone on Instagram. I'm thinking, oh boy. Why did you? I saw you comment and I was like, hi, mom. I didn't, didn't know you were an Instagrammer. How did you get on here? Did yeah. someone encourage you to do it? Yes. yes. Ah, yeah. You know, should be on Instagram. Nobody's on Facebook anymore. Everybody's doing Instagram. So I went on Instagram and I thought, no, I don't want any more of this. And then I, I kept getting you know, little notices. So-and-so was following you on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people feel that pressure. Like I have a few friends that you know, especially artists, because everyone tells you you should be on there. And um, yeah. it is a lot of pressure. If that's not, like, I love it. And Greg always jokes that Instagram was built for me, you know, it's like yeah, pretty yeah. pictures and sharing stuff. Like, it's exactly, you know, your thing. Yeah, yeah my thing, totally. And, um, but like Twitter, I don't like Twitter. I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, so I always tell people don't feel like you have to do all the things because they all exist. Like, if you just really like, Instagram, just do that. If you don't like any of it, don't do any of it. Like you don't, right. you don't have to feel that pressure of, you know, you must Yeah, do now it. I just want to paint yeah. because I want to paint. I want to paint the stuff that appeals to me. Yeah. You know, if somebody else likes it, great. If they don't, that's okay. Yeah. 
And that is such a nice way to, to feel. I feel like that now too, finally, you know, mm-hmm. um, with all this new weird um, cigarettes and all my, you know, well, you saw the crazy, I hadn't gotten to the cigarettes yet when you were here, I don't think. No, no, but I saw pictures of them later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just down there having the best time. It's so <laughs> nice. It's very exciting. And because mine, well, you've been, we've worked in my studio together. It's really tucked away. So I, when I'm down there, I can't even hear anybody upstairs. They can't hear me. So no, it's great. And it's big too. It gives you room to do whatever you want. Or you should see it right now. It looks, <laughs> it looks like our local thrift shop. I think I have most of their inventory smashed on my floor. It's quite something. Um, okay. Let's head into Ask Judy. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to start with my question for you. All right. So my question is, I know that meditation is a huge part of your life. You, you've, you actually have a meditation group and you send out, you've got a little email list of our friends and family where you send us all meditations on Mondays to start mm-hmm. our week. So when you meditate, never actually asked you what you think I know sometimes you'll set an intention if there's something that you've been worried about or something that you're thinking you'll set an intention before you meditate do you ever do that about your art like do you do, do the two ever cross paths not directly my aim in meditation is to make myself as peaceful and as happy as possible mm-hmm. I think if I do that that's the best thing I can do for me for you, for everyone, and my art as well. Right. You know, it just so spills. I can put myself into that state and it just sort of flows out from there. Mm-hmm. When you're doing artwork, you know, people talk about the zone. You know, you kind of get into the zone and, and you're just working away and suddenly you realize you haven't eaten dinner or whatever. Do you ever kind of get into like a meditative state at all while you're making art? Or is that sort of a different thing for you? It's probably all the same thing. Yeah. I would think it's sort of the the left brain, you know, you sort of close down the analytical side of yourself. All the 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 reasoning and the calculating and the, all that stuff goes and you're just in this creative timeless space. I love it when you find that spot. Yeah, some days that you can't get there. It's just like what you said about sometimes you can sit down and draw someone perfectly and sometimes you can't. I, the zone is the same way. It's elusive. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. You know it's out there, but why isn't it coming to you? Yeah. And what I tell people is, you know, if you're trying to find that and you can't, sometimes the best thing to do is, um, I call it procrastinating with purpose. Like if you just you just go into your studio and you just organize stuff or like, I'll just cut a bunch of stuff out of books. Cause I know I'm going to need it cut out eventually. Or, you know, lately it's just like, I just make cigarettes. So I just sit there with my clay, <laughs> just make hundreds of cigarettes. And cause I know I'm going to need them eventually. But by doing that, it kind of gets you into the groove and it kind of, especially if it's something repetitive like that, like, um, like the cigarettes or cutting things out or whatever, it kind of gets you into this like meditative lull mm-hmm. where That's you can, good. yeah. And then I can kind of let go of all the other things I was thinking about, or I end up thinking a lot about, I'll be thinking about the art because I'm just like making these things over and over. Um, 
and it's kind of a nice place because you know you know I don't I don't meditate the way you do I don't meditate <laughs> Greg does Greg meditates every day did you know oh, that Greg. no yeah he does a 20 minute meditation every morning um just to kind of you know lay the groundwork for the day and whatever mm-hmm. I have never been able to get into it because I always I always blame my busy brain I always feel like I can't I just start thinking about what I need to be doing. <laughs> that's, that's okay, though. You have to let yourself do that. And then eventually you'll get past that. Yeah, that's what Greg said. And I'm like, I'm too busy. I got to go do stuff. But um, <laughs> I find that when, because um, on the episode with PETA, I was saying that it's been so nice to just give myself time and space to be working on a huge project that's not instant gratification like my old collages where I could make like 10 in a day. This is very long. And, you know, and I've been kind of having these meditative moments while working and it's been really, I don't know, cathartic. I come out of the studio and I'm like, I haven't really done anything except make another 50 cigarettes, but I'm like, Oh, that was great. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. So maybe there's something I did do one of your Monday meditations the other day. Oh, did you? Yeah. The one where you set an intention and then the lady had the bowl with the bone. And the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a five minute meditation. I made it to three minutes. Like, oh, well, there you go. Good try. That's better than zero minutes. Keep trying. Okay, I will. Um, I wonder if you ever, um, I'm going to give you a challenge to, to do a meditation and then go straight to your art room. Ah, okay. I'll try that. And see what happens. See if, if the zone gets there quicker or see if you're not in the place to make art after that or, you know. Yes, I'd like to try that. Yeah. Give Thank you. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. So next question. Um, a whole bunch of people wanted me to ask you about this. Um, oh, yeah. I'd said on an episode a while ago that you had done singing lessons, even though, well, because you're not a very good singer, nor am I. We're both a little bit tone deaf. Um, And so that you had done these singing lessons, which again, I think was awesome that you were trying something new, but at the time you weren't really painting and I couldn't understand, like I could see if you were wanting to try singing lessons to get better at singing, but you were also painting too, but you'd kind of stopped painting during that time. Yes. The reason I stopped painting And it was for several years, too, because I was working full time at a research job. I didn't think art was valuable enough in my life for me to try to add it to my already full schedule. And I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah, I did not know that. What? Why? Were you in that? What's the point phase of like? Well, why? The thing was, we'd had quite a sort of, you know, bit of a crisis in our lives. Dad's career had suddenly, the bottom had dropped out of it. Yeah. Which was, which was major and which had never happened in all our years of marriage. But this was, you know, and I thought, I got to step up to the plate here. You know, all of a sudden, he had no job. And we had no income. And, uh, and he was so discouraged that I thought, okay, 
I gotta, I gotta do something here. I'm a well-educated woman. Let me get out into the workforce because I'd only sporadically be in the, been in the workforce before. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I got a job, I got this research job and, uh, and it was all on computers and, you know, none of it was face to face. Everything that I, that I looked at was uh, online, all that stuff. And that was very new to me too. So it really knocked my socks off yeah. for a while. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh boy. So I, uh, you know, I found myself becoming, after a few years, very, very anxious. And I think it was because I was so focused on doing this right, not losing this job, not disappointing dad you know I I just wanted this to go well and so that I became obsessive about it sort of ridiculously so so after a while the the anxiety set set in and it became so severe that affected my personality my relationships my whole life because I was operating from fear fear that I if I didn't keep this job, our world would fall apart, which was not true, but you know, that's what I thought. And, and I got so different from my usual self that I felt that you three kids would pity me, would exchange your love for pity, and that I would be regarded as, you know, debilitated, that dad wouldn't be able to love me anymore. I didn't think he'd leave me, but you know, his, his love for me would change. And so I got myself into a real state. And part of it was that I, I had no more balance in my life. And with the help of a program of exercises, which your dad was very instrumental in, he had been coaching the Vancouver Sun Run. And so he had the little brochure from how to, you know, how to run 10K, also how to walk 10K. Mm. So I took that very much to heart and started doing it. You know, I think it was three times a week that I had to do it. And you increase your distance and you, you know, you increase your speed. And and so I, I got out there regardless, you know, whether I had slept more than an hour the night before. My sleep was really disrupted too. I was a mess. And uh, so anyway, I got on this exercise program, which I felt was helping. I went to a therapist. I started taking medication. And I knew about meditation, but I hadn't really taken it seriously before. So I thought, okay, time to really get into meditation. I also went to Art of Living, which teaches a form of meditation as well. So all these things, you know, I'd like to call it my multi-pronged approach. And I eventually realized that a very important part of keeping my life happy and balanced was painting. So I should never have let that drop because I needed to get into my left brain regularly. And this was the logical way for me to do it. So I realized that what really matters for any of us is to become aware of our fears 
and to let them go. And when you let go of your fears, you automatically look from love. But so often we don't recognize our fears. They can range from mild discomfort to terror. You know, and the mild discomfort we often don't recognize as fear. We just think it's something we have to live with. And it isn't. So, you know, two choices, fear or love. Love also ranges from mild comfort to complete surrender. So you have to make sure that you're on that love path as much as possible. And then you'll be fine. Hmm. Everything you do will flow from that. So if it, it felt like a meditation. Good, <laughs> if it feels good, do it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't feel good, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what other people say, don't do it. Yeah. And did it feel so good when you quit that job? Um, actually, I quit for seven months because I couldn't do it. And, uh, and then it was very important for me to go back to it, to show myself that, hey, if I have a different attitude about this, it doesn't have to be fearful to me. Hmm. The job itself wasn't scary. It right. was my attitude towards it. I got so nervous about making a mistake, so nervous about, you know, doing something that was going to somehow impact me as a horrible, incompetent person, that I made it a, a big fearful thing. So anyway, I went back and it wasn't scary anymore. Mm. And I painted at the same time. And yeah, when I decided to retire from it, it felt really good. Cause yeah, because you, you had mastered it. You'd mastered the situation I'd let on go your terms. Yeah. Yes. And I, you know, and I quit on my own terms and it was like, ha, huh, good. Mm. And then so many amazing things actually came out of such a terrible time because, because of your doing that walking, you ended up do, walking the, um, Camino. Uh, the Camino Trail three, three times? Twice. Twice. Yeah, yeah, I know. Wonderful things came out of the walking. Wonderful things came out of the therapy. I learned also, I only went to the therapist two or three times, but I learned a tremendous amount of how to handle anxiety, little exercises to do, mm-hmm. you know? Because um, I remember when all of that was happening, um, oh, yeah. I was pregnant and Charlie was, and then when Charlie was born, it was sort of in that window of yeah. the very end yeah. of my pregnancy and Charlie being born. And um, I remember going for a walk with you when we lived in Steveston. I don't know if he was born yet or if I was super pregnant. Um, and you were really resisting the medication. You didn't want to do the medication that you were going to, you were going to walk and you were going to meditate, but you were not going to do. Right. Um, but before they told you you had anxiety, we, we all thought that you had a heart, you, you, cause you were having panic attacks, but didn't know what that was. So we all, you thought you had a heart condition. Didn't you even like get, have tests and stuff for your heart? Oh my gosh. I was on, at one point I was on five different medications because every time I went to my doctor, uh, she would be away and there would be somebody replacing her. Oh God. Get somebody else's theory about what I should be doing, what I should be taking. Oh, good and Lord. Taking all this stuff. Yeah, I thought I had heart, heart issues, possibly brain issues, possibly 
who knows what. And then I was I was uh, at Chopper's Drug Mart one day. I'm looking at the brochures in their little holder thing, Stan, and uh, there was a, a brochure on generalized anxiety disorder. I grabbed it, I read it, and I went through, there was a whole list of symptoms, about 15 symptoms, I had 12 of them. <laughs> so I thought, ah. <laughs> Perhaps that's it. Perhaps that's it. So I, the next time I went to see my doctor, she wasn't there, as usual. Um, there was a nurse clinician taking her place. And so I gave her the brochure. I told her all my symptoms. She says, oh, sounds highly likely. She said, you should try this medication. And so I took the medication home. And then I read the side effects, possible side effects of this medication. And I thought, no, I'm not taking this. And then I phoned my friend, who's a nurse, and said, you know, listen to these side effects. And she says, you know what? If even one person believes that they're having a side effect from this medication, they all have to be listed. She says, yeah. so that's why most medications have this really long list of possible side effects. She says, just take it, try it, and see if it works for you. Yeah. Well, I remember on that walk, um, you know, I really wanted you to, I, I was feeling so badly for you. And I was like, there's this medicine. And I knew you weren't taking it yet because you, you know, were worried because it's so, it's such a catch 22 because you're like, you're anxious and then you're anxious to, t you don't want to take the medication. And then that makes you more anxious. And it's That's like this <laughs> never ending wheel. And I remember saying to you, but like, you know, a month ago when we thought this was a heart condition, if they'd given you a pill and said, here, take this for your heart every morning, you would take it. But when they're like, here, take this for your brain, for anxiety, you're like, no, no, I can manage this yes, yes, my yes. own way. Yes. You know, mental it's so, issues? No, yeah. no, no. Well, because mental illness, it sounds like they're going to lock you away or something as opposed you know, to a heart condition, which is like, okay. I know. It's so crazy. Yeah. I think really your mental condition is what influences your body. Yeah. Your health. Period. Totally. You know, and so it was him from your mind. Yeah. And when you, you know, by you getting a handle on all of this, um, and anxiety is very hereditary. Um, it caught up with me eventually in my early forties. And again, when you're in it, you don't realize that that's what it is. No. You just think like I, I've told people since, like I've been on medication now for since I was about 42. So about six years but I tell people the story of um, when Charlie was in school, like grade one, recess would be from 10 till 10, 15. And I would have a panic attack from 10 till 10, 15, waiting for them to call me to tell me he'd fallen off the monkey bars and broken his neck and died. And then at 10, 16, when nobody had called, I could breathe again. And then from noon till 1245, when he was outside playing, I would have a panic attack again, waiting for the call. Um, and then when no call came, I, I could breathe again until it was time to go pick him up. Now, I did not think that there was anything wrong with that. I just thought that was some top-notch parenting. <laughs> like, I had no idea that that was not how every other mother was feeling yeah. in those two blocks of time. I had no idea. I just thought. And um, so it was so helpful when I finally 
you know, I went to a therapist and I, you know, it was my GP who was, cause I kept going into my GP and I diagnosed myself with like toenail cancer and, you know, like everything. And he, he finally made me a deal and said, look, I think it's anxiety. And I was like, what if you're wrong? What if it's brain cancer? What if it's hair follicle cancer and you've missed it? He's like, okay, I'll make you a deal. I will send you for every test that exists to mankind. If I do that, will you go to a therapist? And I said, fine. So he sent me, I did like 23 blood tests. Like the lady unrolled the, the, the little roll of labels that go on the blood thing. And it, it touched the floor. Like, I'm not kidding. It was like, she was like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. And uh, of course it came back. I was perfectly healthy. He said, you're one of the healthiest people I've ever met. Will you please go to the therapist now? So I did. <laughs> but all of this to say like, this was probably six years after you'd gone through it. And not that I ever wished that on you at all, but boy, when I was going through it, it was so handy to have your mom, somebody who loves you so much to be able to phone them and have you get it. Like have you completely understand how I felt and what I was going through because you had been there Yes. And you've made it through with all your different ways of doing and, you know, with your multi-pronged approach. And it was just such a huge comfort to have your mama completely understand, you know? And so, yeah, it's just so, yeah. Yeah. No, lots of wonderful things have come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and um, I think it's such a good conversation for us to be having, like, you know, so many people don't talk about, quote unquote, mental health, because it sounds like you've lost it, you know, and people don't want right. it. You want to feel like you've got it together. And there's nothing wrong with like what my doctor said to me at one point, which I, I tell people all the time is, uh, he said, um, cause I was like, I don't want to take the medication because my husband's going to think that, you know, it's a, it was a bait and switch. He married this strong woman and now he's married to this weakling who needs to be medicated in order to function. And that part wasn't true. Anyway, none of it was true. But my doctor said, look, if I told you, you had diabetes and your body was not producing insulin. So you had to take insulin every day. Would you do it? And I said, yes. He's like, okay. I am telling you that your brain no longer makes serotonin and whatever, all the other things. So, and this pill will replace the stuff that your body isn't making naturally. Why wouldn't you take, it's exactly the same as taking insulin every day. Because I was like, well, I'll just run more. And he's like, okay, if you had diabetes <laughs> and you said, you know what? I don't need insulin. I'll just run more. And I was like, okay, I get it. And so, yeah, anyway, I think it's just an important conversation to have because I think so many people feel this way. And the more we talk about it and normalize it and, um, you know, let people know that it's okay and there's nothing wrong with you. And yeah. It's, I think yeah, it's a good conversation. Get to on with getting better. Yeah. yeah. And if art, you know, a lot of the, everybody that listens to this is, is an artist creator in some way. I do really think like I wasn't really making art during that time either. And making my art has become this really like, it's my quiet time. It's my time to think. It's my time to process my ideas in a creative way. Like I often tell people, you know, artists have this superpower of turning junk into something beautiful. You know, we don't have to just live with this stuff. We can turn it into art if we want to, mm -hmm. you know, we can articulate it in a, in a really beautiful way, whether that's with clay or paint or words or dance or whatever it is. 
we don't have to just sit in it. We can use our art to yes, turn to those ideas. Yeah, to transform it, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was a really long time on one question, <laughs> but I loved it. Yes. Um, okay. Emma asks, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger art self? It would be back to go with your feelings. Yeah. You know, if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't, don't, regardless of anything else. Yeah, of what you think people might think or... or Yeah, or how, you know, your prof thinks of it, of how your family thinks or anything. Just be true to yourself and do what you believe is best and ask for guidance. I mean, sometimes I get funny looks when I say this, but divine guidance, your spiritual guidance, your higher self guidance is always there. So don't ignore it. Mm. And I guess with meditation, that's what you could tap into during meditation too, is to ask for that guidance from, from your higher self, really. Yes. Yes. And you don't even have to meditate to do it. You can do it, you know, anytime. Mm-hmm. You can do it while you're eating breakfast. You can do it while you're going for a walk, while you're driving your car. Mm-hmm. You can just say, you know, please guide me. Please tell me what is best. Please show me the best possible outcome here. And then just trust. I mean, you won't get an answer immediately reverberating through the air. Most Which likely. is unfortunate. That's what I would like. Yeah. Most Immediate answers. Most people don't get that. <laughs> but the more that you do it, the more you hear it, the more you sense it, the more you become aware of it in whatever way is best for you. Mm. I love that. Cause you know, I, you know, I talk about inner critics all the time and that negative voice, but there is that, that encouraging, like it's your gut instinct, right? Like, you know, what's right. You're letting everything else cloud, cloud mm-hmm. that. Like you, you know what you want to be doing. You know that, but you kind of have to quiet everything else so that you can hear that other quieter, yeah. more encouraging voice come through and guide you. And um, yeah, I really like the thought of there being somebody else in there besides the inner critic. Yeah, be higher self for sure. You know, your real self, your mm-hmm. true self is always available to you but you we yeah, as you just said we block it we block it mm-hmm. and when you learn how to unblock it to be you know to let it be available to you that's the best gift you can give yourself mm-hmm. and so powerful mm-hmm. you know um and then you got to think that that would like flow through everything like self-confidence wise right if you know that you can completely trust yourself you know it's nobody else is guiding you you're guiding you Mm -hmm. and it's a good path a love-filled not fear-filled path that's it that's it i got it (laughs) and everybody has that Mm -hmm. so you just have to tap into it and be yeah go find it yeah yeah um okay sandy who i love she's hilarious you would love her too um sandy asks who were the influences in your life um, I'm guessing she means artistically or otherwise. Okay. Well, I remember when I was young and growing up, 
whenever I saw a piece of art, a drawing, a painting, an illustration in a magazine that I loved, I would just focus on it. Usually I didn't have any idea who the artist was, but I would just focus on that particular piece, you know, how did they do it? Mm. Sort of look at the colors, look at how, try to figure out how, how they did it and just admire it. Um, but then when I was a teenager, I developed a fascination for Dorothy Oxborough's work and Dorothy Francis' work, two Dorothys. Hmm. And they did the Indian and Eskimo children. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which are considered, you know, pretty cutesy, I guess, by many. But I was, all, I was interested in portraits. I'd been interested in portraits probably from the time I was quite little. And they showed me so much, like I would copy their work in pastels. And they, I learned so much about modeling, about the, uh, you know, the dimensions of a face, um, light and dark, uh, proportion, expression, color. I mean, I don't know how many of those I copied, lots and lots and lots. They were fairly popular, I think, most of my relatives. I was going to say, I think every aunt and uncle, <laughs> yeah. Grammy and Grandpa had them in their living room. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That was quite a run. But anyway, <laughs> I, I learned a lot from those two Dorothys. And then I'll never forget when I saw a picture of Michelangelo's Pieta. I thought it was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. I was just enthralled by it. So I guess Michelangelo is one of my influences. Um, what about when you guys lived in Europe and like you had access to so many art galleries and stuff? Yes. Yeah, so many things I loved. I then. used to hate going to art galleries with you when we were little. It <laughs> took forever. I remember when you and your <laughs> sister and a couple of boys did the Louvre in 20 minutes. Yeah, it was the Topham boys. It was Jeff Top, Jeff and Andrew. I know. We and we took pictures standing by all the butts of the statues. Classy. But you would like. I just remember like even going to the National Gallery with you in Ottawa when we were visiting Grammy and Grandpa and stuff. And you would like be looking at something and looking and looking i'm like i think we've got this one covered and i'm pretty sure i smell cookies from, coming from the cafe can we move this show along <laughs> and now i think now i'm like that in galleries like now it takes me forever because i'm just so into all of the stuff it's just so funny like how different you know from being a teenager <laughs> like, i know your your interests change yes. somewhat <laughs> Um, did you have something else on your list there? Yes. In non-art uh, heroes, yeah. Nelson Mandela has got to be right up there. I was just so impressed by the way he transformed himself during his 27 years in prison. Mm. You know, he, he had been, he'd been fighting for what was right, and he had been oppressed, seriously oppressed. Um, yeah, and finally in prison for 27 years. And what his big lesson in there that he learned 
was forgiveness. He forgave everybody. He turned himself into a whole different person. He learned Afrikaans so he could speak to his guards in their own language. I mean, it just bowled me over. Hmm. So, and his life, well, you know what his life was after that. He was able to transform his country. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it starts with you. Hmm. Anyway, my other non-art hero was Sister Mary Deborah. When I went to a, a girls' Catholic high school for two years, a convent school for two years, nine and ten, she was my homeroom teacher in grade nine. And she was the most insightful, interesting, caring person, you know, that impacted me for the rest of my life. Wow. There's her, too. What, what was her name? Mary Deborah? Sister, Sister Mary Deborah. I don't know what her non-nun name was. Hmm. Yeah. And then Mary, Mary Lou, the drawer, was in grade nine, too. Big year yep. for you. Do you. That was a big year for me. Yep. Mary Lou and Mary Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> First the two Dorothys. Then the yeah. Two <laughs> Love it. Um, okay. Actually, this question is from Hilda. Hilda, when we first met online, she was a nun. Oh. And she left. Um, um, what do you, I don't even know what you would call it. The order? Yes. Um, and now, uh, and she's, she's making art now and um, has a totally different life, but like her art is very um, uh, spiritual and amazing. She, she's just fantastic. I love Hilda. Anyway, we find, we got to meet in person too. I was doing a talk in uh, Portland and she came to it. So we'd had this like little Instagram relationship through all of that. And then I actually got to meet her and hug her. It was really wow. cool. Yeah. So um, she gave me two questions. Um, the first one is, um, because I've talked about this too, she said, did you have any hesitancies about Danielle um, being an artist or switching into fine art in university? Because I have said, I thought that you did, and you've told me that you didn't, but Hilda wants but to know. that Somewhere in between. Yeah. I worried a bit that you wouldn't be able to make a living. Mm-hmm. And also that the roller coaster of acceptance and rejection that often happens to artists would be very hard on your self-esteem. Because sometimes, you know, people love your work. Other times they think it's garbage. And you've got to roll with all that. And was it because you know that I'm sensitive or did you? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I mean, everybody has a certain sensitivity, but I, I felt you were particularly sensitive, and it, it could be very hard on you. But still, you were also, correct. <laughs> as it, yes, apparently I was. Oh, but overall, though, I wanted you to follow your heart, and I never doubted your talent. I mean, I, I was aware of your talent from the time you were three, you know, and your creativity and your looking at at things outside the box and you were always surprising me with how you saw things and so you know and I was always excited about what you did next so yes in the big picture I really wanted you to pursue art in the small picture I thought ah, I hope this isn't too hard on her yeah see and that's what I think what I saw because um dad 
because he hadn't, you know, he did his crafts and stuff, but he didn't experience the, sometimes people love it, sometimes people hate it. Like he didn't ever have to experience the stuff that you experienced by having shows, by having some shows that sold and some shows that didn't sell. Like he didn't know the granular emotional part of that, right? And so mm-hmm. when when I was switching and dad was all like, woohoo, I, I could see that hesitancy in you. And you were like, yeah, this is great. Like you were being very encouraging and supportive, but you know, your parent, like, you know, <laughs> the looks, you know? And I was like, oh, I could just tell that you were a bit like, oh God, <laughs> which I think is hilarious because artists know, you know, mm-hmm. artists get it. And, um, you know, you were right. Like I, I am so sensitive uh, and it, that has been a really long, hard lesson to learn that you're still constantly always, you know, having to reevaluate and remember that it's has to matter that you love the work. And, um, but nobody, I don't think ever really gets over that. It's when you're, when you're creating something that came from your soul and you're putting it in the world to people that have eyeballs and mouths can say what they think, you know, it's really a vulnerable experience. Like when Mm -hmm. I talk about my design days, like I never felt like that about my design because I got a brief from a client, you know, and if I worked on Nike, it was going to look a lot different than if I worked on Nintendo, you know, I was following their brand guidelines and just applying my design skills to it. Right. So I never felt particularly I don't know, hurt, you know, it was annoying to have to change things and make the logo bigger as inevitably always happens, but it's not the same as making a personal piece. That's about a personal subject, putting it on a wall and going, what does everybody think? That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And you were very right to know that that would be, that would be hard for me. Yes. Well, you never, you never liked criticism in any area. It was harder on you than on most people. So I thought, you know, with art, it would be even worse. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm not a fan of criticism. <laughs> I've become, I've come to learn to really love feedback. I call it feedback now. And like when I go. do these like sessions with PETA or whatever, you know, um, it's feedback because I trust what she's saying. So if, mm-hmm. if there's something that's not working or whatever, I listen, you know, and, and I, and I listen to a lot of people now, even, even trolls or people who are just saying mean things online or whatever, I still kind of listen because I'm like, okay, well, is there a nugget of truth in there for me? Nope. Or is yeah. there a nugget of truth in there for me? Oh, there kind of is. There kind of See? is. That's critical. I think. Yeah. Because there's always going to be people who, bad mouth whatever yeah for their own sake yeah especially now with on the online world because they can say it from the safety of behind their keyboard they don't have to look you in the eye and say it they can say it at two in the morning completely incognito yeah and it all it says is something about them not something about you so you have to recognize that difference and i'm not saying it's easy no it's not it takes practice but You know, and then every now and then there's a real doozy that kind of knocks you back. But, you know, I often talk about like that story about the prof telling me you should never paint again. And I didn't. I put my paintbrush down. And he was essentially an internet troll, right? That said, you suck. You should never do this. And I listened. 
And it was my job to pick up my paintbrush and keep painting. And I didn't because I just couldn't, you know? And so now, you know, every now and then there's a big, like, whoa, feels like a punch to the face. And you can decide, are you going to quit? Or are you going to take a day to lick your wounds and then pick up your pencil or your brush or whatever and keep going? And I choose to do that. Mm -hmm. I said in an intro the other day, I want to be an artist. So that means making art no matter what. You can't be an artist if you're not making art. So I choose to make art regardless of anything else. Yeah. And I think that is absolutely, that means you're there. Yeah. Finally. It took a long time. I'm so happy. Oh, thanks, Mom. I'm so happy. (laughs) No, I think it was all the right path. All the good, the bad, the ugly, like... It has made me who I am now. I figured stuff out. I love that you guys had always supported me no matter what, even if you had a hesitancy. But um, when I was little, like you didn't, you know, I was never discouraged to be myself, to be artistic. Um, And that actually goes beautifully into the next question. Again, from Hilda. Um, This is the last one. Uh, because I've talked about how different Jana and Cam and I all are, yet we grew up in the same house with the same parents, but we are, so, in some ways we're similar, but in some ways we are so completely different. And, mm-hmm. um, but we've all, you support, you and dad supported all of us to become the people that we are totally different. And so she wants to know, like, how did you do that with such three different personalities? Um, how did you support all three of your kids since they all do such different things? Okay, well, I think it's mostly listening and observing. You know, see, see where your kids' interests and their gifts are and hopefully support those things. I mean, it's easy to say it's hard to do because we, we have our own kind of agenda sometimes too. We think we know what's best for our kids and we're wrong. <laughs> So you have to pay real attention to what they really want and how to help them get there. I mean, for for Jana, it was pretty easy. I can remember when she came home from school, she was about 10, 10 or 11. And she said, "Um, you know, why do you think the kids in the class laughed when my teacher asked what I wanted to be when I grew up and I said, the prime minister? She was so interested in politics and in, you know, all that stuff. And so when she wanted to go to law school, it was like, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But Cam was into this, into that, started off in computer science, was very good at, you know, music. Then he went into music and then he decided on sociology. And we're thinking, sociology? What does a sociologist do? (laughs) so you know and now he has a gardening company and it seems to be working really well for him so you just gotta love them listen to them and support what they want to do and if you think what they want to do is not going to work for them that's tricky but I think you can maybe talk to them about it but if they are determined to do something, you go with it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I was telling the story um, about um, paying it like exactly what you said, like listening and observing. And I think those first few years of their life is, is when you get the most clues. Like remember when Cam was freaking out because the tulip came up? Yeah, the tulip bloomed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he wasn't he like two or something? Two he or three? Yeah, he was he was two. Yeah. And he was so thrilled. And like, and now he owns a landscaping company. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, okay. Like that, it all totally makes sense, you know? And I think um I remember saying that to Greg when I was pregnant. And it's like, okay, <clears throat> we have to pay attention to what this kid loves and does when he's little because when he's 16 17 and wanting to apply for college and going I don't know like what should I do (laughs) you know we can go well this is what we noticed that you like just were came out of the womb interested in you know so I yeah I'm so curious because Charlie's getting to that age now you know he's going to be 15 soon and it's he's starting to talk about university and what he might like to do and it's just like First of all, I can't believe we're here already. And secondly, it's just, I'm so interested to see what he does. Mm -hmm. And I did tell him too, you know, it's different. uh, Like, you know, when I, even when I went to university, you'd go and then you generally work in whatever you went to university for, especially your guys' generation, right? You went to Mm -hmm. school to do X and then that's what you became. And then you worked there for 30 years. Now it's like, Oh God. I said to him, you know, the job that you do might not, ex- not, might not exist yet. Mm-hmm. You know, so don't worry about it. Go for what interests you and follow the path of what, you know, like what you said, like follow for what you love and who you genuinely are and you'll find the right place to go. And you might, that might take you to several different jobs. Yeah. You know, several different areas and paths and you just sort of go to one and then the next and yeah. where they take you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was like Greg. He's, he said that, uh, growing up in Northern Ontario, he's like, I didn't even know graphic design was a job, you know? And he said, if I had, I know. And he goes, I would have done that. He loved like, you know, he, he wanted, he, um, there was a contest to design a logo for their, um, elementary school or high school and he did it. And, uh, like he was so into all that stuff, but you know, it was very much like his parents were like, no, you go to school for a good job. And he went for computer science and became a programmer and hated it. And, you know, slowly over his career, he's managed to wiggle himself over to strategy and he loves it. You know, so I said to Charlie, it doesn't matter. Like, do what you love and then you'll wiggle your way to whatever is the right thing, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, he has many gifts. I mean, you know, he does. Yeah. He's brilliant and handsome. And <laughs> gets most of that from me. Um, anyway. Okay. So those were all of the Ask Judy questions. Um, I'm going to bring Charlie in in a minute to do the not so speedy speed round because he doesn't want to talk about art. So we're just going to talk about random weird things. Um, Mom, this was so great, mm-hmm. very insightful. And now instead of me just getting your wisdom on a Sunday afternoon phone call, everybody can get your mom wisdom on Mother's Day. Well, it's mutually beneficial. I had a delightful time too, and I learned some more about you. I know, isn't it funny? Because I feel like I'm, we're really close, but then we do something like this and it's like, huh. I didn't know about Mary Deborah, you know, <laughs> you know, know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. We don't usually ask each other these kinds of things. No, and I, I'm really glad to do it. And and I think, 
you know, you have so many, I think you're such a brilliant, wonderful person. And I think it's just so nice that we were able to, you know, share, share that. Like Greg always said, talks about you and always says that he's like, I think your mom is just operating on another plane. <laughs> he just thinks, that could mean many things. <laughs> he just, well, yeah, here's the thing. It's like, you cannot find your way out of a building. However, <laughs> you're, on a cosmic level. I'm yeah, sorry. on a cosmic level, <laughs> genius. Trying to give her directions to go somewhere she's gone 12 times already, not so much. No, yeah. <laughs> but you are getting much better at that. I am getting somewhat better. Yeah, yeah. anyway. Um, great for GPS. Yeah, thank goodness for cell phones and GPS. Um, thank you so much, Mom. This was really, really great. And um, happy Mother's Day. Thank you very much. And the same to you. All right. I'll talk yeah. to you soon. Okay. Love Bye. you. Okay. And here we are with my next special guest on the Mother's Day episode, the boy who made me a mother. It's Charlie Crissa. Hello. <laughs> okay. So I just had a lovely chat with Nana. And now, because she's my mama and then you're my baby. So we're going to do the not so speedy speed round. Yes. Okay, because I know you don't love talking about art. No, I love talking about art. You do? Mm-hmm. Do you have your own art podcast? Yes. <laughs> I haven't listened to it. I'll have to tune in. Yeah. Um, okay, you ready for the not-so-speedy speed round? Yes. Do you know why it's called that? No, I do not. Well, because when I first started the podcast, the, I was just going to do like a speed round and ask funny, quick questions. But then I always ask follow-up questions, so it's not very speedy. So it's the not-so-speedy speed round. Okay. Okay. Okay, okay. first question, because when you were little, you loved would-you-rathers. So I'm yes. kicking things off with a would-you-rather. Would you rather be a fish or a bird? Bird, because they can fly. Really? I thought you would have picked underwater. Well, and birds also have feelings. Oh. So I feel like... Fish are kind of just like lizard brain. Mm. And you'd want and to... And fly. And you can fly. Right. It's a lot cooler than swimming. All right. Okay. Fine. Um, favorite mythical creature and why? Because I know you do love a good mythical creature. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different cool mythologies to choose from. Yeah. Like I was like, is he going to go Bigfoot or is he going to go like um, Wendigo? I know. Maybe some sort of sea monster, oh. something cool like that. Ogopogo, keep it regional, yeah. keep it local. Loch Ness Monster, that's a pretty cool one. Yeah. Um, can you actually explain to people what the Ogopogo is? Because it's a, like a Canadian small town. It's a uh, knockoff Loch Ness Monster is probably the best way to put it, right? Well, yes, but well, it's, it's not like, a... It's, it's like the stereotypical lake creature. Right. But he lives in our lake. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen him out there? Maybe once or twice. <laughs> I used to always think I saw him. You know how sometimes our lake does that weird ripple thing? Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to always think that that was, that was the Ogopogo. I don't think it was. Okay. Next question. You can think about this for a minute if you need to. The most favorite toy you had when you were little. I don't know. I had a lot of toys, but 
I couldn't have a favorite. What about your little red kitchen? Yes, but I like different things at different time periods. There was no all-time favorite. Really? Yeah. Do you remember the fishing um, fishing rod you had the, that had magnet fish so you could like cast off the back of the couch and catch the fish with that had magnets on their mouths? Yes, I think I do remember that. Yeah. You used to make me sit behind the couch and tie fish stuffies onto the line so that you could haul them in. We would do that for hours. That sounds pretty fun. You want to do it after this? Yes. Okay, great. Um, okay, here's a big one. Here's okay, a big one. I'm ready. What do you want to be when you grow up? It's a lot of pressure. NBA player. Excellent. No discussion. Next question. <laughs> oh, there is a follow-up to that. Will you give your mother any of the money? No. None? Zero. Will you buy me a nice little house somewhere? No, you got a good one. As it is. Okay. Well, maybe like, like, could I have like a room in your penthouse just to come visit and stuff? Mm, no, thanks. <laughs> okay. Okay. And because we've sort of been quarantined, I mean, you've been able to go to school, but we've been sort of stuck here for over a year. If you could go anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Probably Hawaii. Yeah. The basic yeah, we didn't get to go this year. We love Hawaii. Yeah. What's your favorite part about that trip? Is it weather. food related? Oh, I thought it was going to be food related. Nice weather. Not yeah. cold. Yeah. <sighs> um, well, those are all my questions. That went really, that was a, a speedy speed round. I'm very decisive. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I guess I have to let you go then. I'd like to keep you on here longer and ask you more things, but... You're a teen with things to do, so I better... Very busy schedule. Yeah, I better let you go. Thank you so much for being my guest and my child. Thank you for having me on this wonderful show. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Perfect, thank you. We saw a heron today. Really? Gym class, speaking of birds. Flew over you guys? Yeah, it was weird. There's a lot around right now. Tried to keep that going a bit, but he spotted the red record button and I had to bail. <laughs> anyway, how lucky am I? Such an insightful, brilliant, loving mom and a funny, quick-witted teenage son who apparently won't be sharing his NBA millions with the woman who was in labor with him for 29 hours. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Thank you so much to both my mom and Charlie for being such good sports and coming on the podcast. And great big thanks to you for listening to yet another episode of Art for Your Ear, now officially part of CoLoop, a podcast network designed to fuel your creativity. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mamas out there. It ain't easy, but you make it look good. Thanks again for listening. There will be more Art for Your Ear next weekend. See you then.